I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Good morning. I guess it's uh, just become early afternoon. Welcome as we continue our series on callings today, Call to Lead. And if you're looking around and you're noticing, hey, wait a minute. I'm seeing some people that are wearing very similarly colored shirts, whether they be uh, from our residence halls or our Office of Ministry and Mission or our student mentors, or you could be seeing student association leaders and club leaders, our merge worship leaders. You could be seeing our renewal leaders, any number of our student leaders. If you'd just like to say a little amen that our students are on campus, we would, let, we would welcome it. We are glad, glad that you are here. Uh, as we kind of embark here, a couple of quick things. Firstly, uh, you might have noticed that I, I am wearing a mask today uh, when I'm wandering around in and out and, and beside you. And I'd like to just share, there are two reasons really. Firstly, um, in all honesty, I was exposed to somebody with COVID earlier this week. I'm fully vaccinated. And so uh, the request of our county health department is that I mask when I'm around you because I don't want to be spreading anything like that. But there'd be another reason I'd wear it today anyway. And I know that this can be a hotbed of feelings and issues. I just want you to know uh, this is not any condemnation of anybody who wouldn't be wearing a mask, but just so you know, our students on our campus highly desiring that they can have a successful year and be in person. And so our university administration has made the decision based on what's going on in our community uh, that it would be best for the time being, hopefully for a short period of time, but they'll make the decisions that need to be made that our students are asked to wear masks indoors. And so when you see me wearing one, it is not in no way a condemnation of you if you're not wearing one. It is rather support for our students and saying, I am with you whether it's convenient or not. And so uh, we love you, students. <clears throat> we love being the family of our student body and uh, desire to support you in every way we can think of to do. Uh, I'd like to also alert you, at, before we get into this particular message, I'd like to show you a little uh, precursor to what will begin this next week. I have been so looking forward to this sermon series, and you may not even be clear what you're looking at. You see some blue sky, you see a wall. Is it torn down or is it being rebuilt? You'll also see some whitewashed letters, R-E colon re some of you know that if you uh, type in an email, send it, and somebody responds, the subject line changes, it gets autofilled, and the starting three characters of that autofill are R, E, colon. In other words, regarding the message that you sent me, here's my response. And so this is going to be regarding study into two specific books with a little bit of extra from a couple of other books of the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, and I am so completely looking forward to it. You're going to arrive next Sabbath and notice that we have little booklets that on the cover have this picture on the back. It's a fully built wall. 
And in the middle is just empty blank lined pieces of paper for you to take notes as we go through this series together. Whether you are uh, an adult member of our community, one of our students, one of our children, we want you to fill those pages with your reflections of what goes on here as we build together. And next Sabbath, I'm just so excited to launch that series and the title, Return. Return. So I hope you'll join us for that too. As we get going today, though, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25 as we look forward to dedicating our student leaders at the end of this service and we get involved in this calling to leadership. And some of you may feel like you've shown up at just the right time to watch some other leaders. And that is true. I want to suggest to you, though, that you are here in this place in time to hear God's voice calling you to lead. You remember it, these words from Matthew 25, a smattering, a number of parables there in Matthew 25. Midway through the 14th verse, we read the launch of this story from Jesus. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of, of money. To another, two talents. To another, one talent. Each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents, he went out. You know this story. He went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Also, the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. We're going to read, we're going to pray, and we're going to listen to a calling, inescapably a calling to each one here or watching online today or another time. Listen for God's voice. Father, we plead that you speak to us through your spirit. You promise that you are here, that you are clear, that you can speak in to our lives. And so call us to lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, one of the things that uh, is a principle in my life, I've got four, uh, four children at this point. Uh, I, I say it that way. I ha we, we have three that... Uh, were our children, and then my oldest daughter got married to a young man named John. He's our fourth child by choice, both his and ours. Uh, one of the things that is an ongoing conversation in our family is that I love almost anything that you keep score at. If you can keep score, I'm kind of interested. In fact, I have a hard time jogging. I'm not sure what the score, how that works exactly. I know there are people who say, well, you time yourself. You can actually put, yeah, yeah, the score is a lot harder. If I were chasing you, that, <laughs> like, with, well, like with water balloons or something like that, like, a, you know, something, if we were paintball running, let's do that. Because it feels like I can keep score that way a little bit better. Uh, and so I've always loved, I mean, goodness, I would watch ping pong or, have you seen Cornhole Championships? These people are crazy. 
I don't know, there's something, I don't have to win, I just love knowing how to keep score, and I just am naturally gravitate toward any of those sorts of things. So sports and athletics always been an interest to me. This particular vacation this summer, my son John, son-in-law John, Emily's husband John, okay, we got it all covered. He says to me, he says, hey Dave, I've gotten into a sport. Now he knows how interested I am in sports, but he's not naturally interested in sports. He says, I've gotten interested in a sport. And I can tell, this is okay, this is, a, this is a moment because one of the things that is, I'm all about is participating with my children in whatever they're interested in doing. That I want in. So here's, a, here's an in. He says, yes, Dave, I have begun following, a pretty, pretty carefully, I'm really into Formula One. How many of you are into Formula One? Anybody into Formula? Right, there's one. Okay, so okay, we've got a few. Some of you might be into Formula One because of Netflix. Is that possible? Formula One now has a uh, third season of Drive to Survive. I don't know anything about this. I've struggled to follow NASCAR. It's just somehow a little bit difficult. But my son-in-law, John, he's into Formula One. So I decide, okay, I tell you what, I'm going to get into, I'll watch Formula One with you. And he's describing what's going on. I can now tell you about wet tires, and I can tell you about the three compounds of soft, medium, and hard, and that changes a little bit, and how you have the time trials, and then you, okay, I know about it now. If you don't, here are a couple of things, because there's a high possibility you might not. Firstly, in Formula One, a very expensive sport, there are 10 teams. Teams like Mercedes, Ferrari, Haas, Williams. Okay. Each team has two drivers, two cars. So in all of Formula One, on race day, there are 20 human beings on the planet who have made it to some deserving level that they're now going to be racing in Formula One. Two drivers for each of 10 teams. It might interest you to know that millions and millions of dollars goes into this. I'll give you an example. In 2020, uh, the Williams race team spent 123, or 132, sorry, 132 million dollars on their race cars. There are two guys, the teams surrounding them, the cars, and all that was going on with that racing. 132 million dollars, the Williams race team. And what you need to understand is, the Williams race team is the one that spent the least. I know, I know. If you're like me, you're going, wait, back up on that one. $132 million, and they're the 10th on the list. In fact, check this out. The top three teams, third on the list for expenditure, Red Bull, the Red Bull team, which you can see their car back in the distance over there. The Red Bull team spent $445 million. Ferrari, $463 million. The highest expenditure, Mercedes, $484 million. Now, here's the thing. For the last 10 years, the top three teams have won all the races. 137 races. They've won the championship for 10 years running. Only those top three teams. So, I don't know what you thought of $132 million. But if you're only spending $132 million, you have no shot 
in Formula One. In fact, the middle of the road pack, they're spending like $250 million a year on this, and they can't crack the last 137 races in the winner's circle. It's kind of almost like it's stacked against everybody else. It's only 132 million. It's not going to get you anywhere. And in the midst of that, I think about my first car. <laughs> this would be a 1982 Honda Accord that I purchased for 3,000 of my very few dollars. And it was in great shape little high mileage, but it was in great shape, and it was my baby, and $3,000. The subject of leadership, from my perspective, as I listen and we talk, it often feels to me that we have a little bit of the sense of the difference between me in my 1982 Honda Accord and Mercedes, $484 million dollars. And the gap. It reminds me a little bit, I've had this conversation with a number of individuals who will say to me some version of, well, okay, yes, but I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm not a leader. I don't, that's not, I don't have that in me. Kind of like, I'm not, I'm not a Formula One race car driver, and I don't even have a car. And beyond that, I would wonder if I were in that team that's always going to finish near the bottom in fact, the last number of races that I've watched, it's the same team are always, the two guys are always 19th and 20th, and half the time they wreck each other. And why would you just keep continuing? Why would you spend all that money? You're right. Hey, let's just be honest. I'm not, I'm not really a leader. Some of you have felt that way or feel it right now. I want to argue with you just a little bit if it's okay. I want to push around on this topic and this subject because this is about you. Jesus is talking to me and to you right now in a calling to take seriously. I was uh, standing with a, a friend uh, who was leading a ministry that we were, we were standing there, this deaconess, this friend of mine who was leading this ministry, it was watching as she was now in a spot to just kind of watch how it was all working because of all the little things she had put into play and in place. And she's watching these families who are benefiting from this ministry that she is leading. But I know a conversation we've had in the past and we will that particular day in a few minutes that she does not see herself as a leader. I'm, but I'm, I'm not a leader. Very ironic to me as we stand watching the fruit of all of her work and those that she has networked with, and she would say, yeah, but they're doing all the work. Well, but how did that happen? Well, we got to talking about family and so on, and <clears throat> she asked me a little bit about uh, uh, our middle child, our daughter, Alyssa, and we were talking a little bit about the nanny work that she had been doing. She's been a nanny for a couple of different families, and one of them, the last family she was nannying with, three children, varying ages, the, the youngest two, both Down syndrome children. Some of you have, uh, possibly have a Down syndrome child or a, a friend, a family member, and you know the kind of work that that can involve. And so she was involved heavily with their therapies and going to different um, um, 
uh, programs with them, also helping establish discipline in their lives and so on. But my daughter would tell you one of the big, big problems in all that was going on there was dad. The dad of the family who had participated in all of the structural kind of conversations about how things should go, he would come home and then violate the stuff that he had said, yes, we should do that, and kind of torpedo all the work she had been doing with little children, these little children in the family. And the children quickly learn exactly how this maneuver now needs to be navigated. As we're talking about this, this friend of mine said, oh, I know. The children, you, they, you can't get that kind of thing past them. They will pick up on it, and they will use it, and they will manipulate you into a hole in the ground if they need to. Right? It was about that time that I said to her, you know, I know what you're saying, and, and in fact, that's part of why I always want to argue with you when you say you're not a leader. Whoa, whoa, this changed quickly. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, you, clearly, you've been a child. And we, we're talking about this university, universal capacity of children to actually understand how to use the data that's coming in to figure out how I'm going to now affect and impact my circumstances. And you're telling me I'm pretty much any, you can't get past a child with, with this kind of stuff. It's the same thing that a young mother will tell you. I can... I can let you know, I can identify the cries of my child. I can tell you if my child is hungry or if they're sleepy or if they're bored or scared, pinch their finger, have a poopy diaper. By their cries. Why can you tell? Because that little child has been seeking to etch-a-sketch you around the room since birth. We come out of the womb, every one of us, every single one, normally functioning human being comes out of the womb attempting to move people to lead. But I get it, because some of us feel like I'm riding around in this whole leadership conversation in a 1982 Honda Accord. I'm not even on the racetrack some others of us will say the exact same kind of thing, but we're on the track. We're just in the $132 million team. Somebody else here is in the $260 million team, but we know our team has no shot of having the letters beside the name or the sign on the door. They're not going to be the president of or the CEO of or doctor so-and-so, and so I, don't, I must not be pastor, uh, even teacher sometimes. I want to suggest to you that this call to lead is for you. Because indeed, leadership is not about a position. It's not about the letters by your name. In fact, I would suggest to you that leadership is an attitude toward what God has given you and he says he's given it. You remember the parable, Matthew 25. Doesn't say, hey, I gave five to one, I gave two to one, I gave one to one, five, they put that to work. Two, they put that to work. One buries it. Then there's one I didn't give anything, and, you know, they're off the hook. No, the parable says I, that the master brings all of his servants and he gives them each something. Yeah, it's different from one to the next. But the challenge is, 
What are you doing with what God's given you? What's your attitude towards what God has given to you? I want to suggest to you that, he was give, that you are given opportunity. Here's an interesting little bit from Matthew 25. The response of the one who buries it, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I didn't, I didn't mess it up. I didn't fail. I think some of us hold back because of fear of failing, or maybe we hold back because we don't think the accomplishment will be all that much anyway. And God says, that's not the point. I am looking for, you will never know the impact that you can have unless you take on the attitude that says, I will indeed be willing with what you give me And Jesus' response, the response of this master, the parable, he says, the master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. Yeesh. Could it be, could it be that Jesus is saying, look, I am asking you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm asking other people too. But right now I'm talking to you, Dave. I've given you something. Do you have an attitude of willingness? I'm far more interested that you're willing to invest that talent than that you succeed in investing it. But that you are willing, that you're not hanging back, holding back, saying it's for somebody else. I, I feel strongly that, and, and some of you have been in a setting where I've done this before, and so you're, you're just the brilliant ones, and you can just uh, kind of look confident as we move forward. But I'd like to just share with you, if you don't mind, for me, something that's helpful. The, the word leadership is ubiquitous. There you go, there's a bonus word for you. That just means it's everywhere, being used by all sorts of people in many different ways. Everywhere you turn, leadership, 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 leadership. But we don't necessarily all mean the same thing. I'm gonna give you a little kind of grounding, centering thing for me. You get to decide what you do with it. But at its base, I wanna suggest to you that leadership is influence. Some of you may read leadership material. You might be familiar with John Maxwell, who likes to say leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less, which is always give, makes me giggle a little bit that he felt the need to place nothing more and nothing less with something that he said didn't need anything more. But, ironically also, I'm going to add two other words because they're important to me as I've dug around. But leadership is influence. Here's, here's something that's been helpful to me. There's data that suggests every human being that's normally functioning on this planet today, today, will encounter at least four moments of significant influence opportunities. Today, you and me, every one of us. So then the question really, I mean, we can argue about who's the leader, who's got the role, who's got the position, who's got the right pedigree, who's got enough financial backing But the real question comes, in those four moments, will I deliver? Will I actually step up? Or will I excuse myself and say, I'm not a leader. It's somebody else's thing to do. Am I wrong about this? I don't think there's a person in this room who doesn't spot things going on this week, probably even today, that are frustrating and ought to change. What's your role in that? 
Is it somebody else's? Hey, look, I've got a 1982 Honda Accord. Get out there, Mr. Ferrari. And Jesus says, you lazy, wicked servant. I gave you something. And the thing, by the way, that he has given me, he probably, I don't think it's describable that he's given anyone else. So that when I don't step up with my tiny thing, it goes missing from the cause of Christ. So again, I, I think this, this thing, I, you know, I'll just share this. <clears throat> Some of you have heard me tell the story, seated right about there where this young lady with the black and white, black polka dots on the white mask, you know, you're going, oh, is that me? Yeah, it is, I can see you. <laughs> seated right about where you are in the first service in adoration is a gentleman named Dr. Jack Blanco. Some of you know Dr. Jack Blanco. Some of you would know him because you've read uh, or have a copy of the Clear Word Bible. Some of you have heard me tell the story, though, that at a pivotal, important time when I thought no one knew who I was, walking past his office at a very desperate and difficult time in my life, Dr. Jack Blanco, I was taking a class from him, I couldn't tell you a thing about that class right now. I, I liked him, generally. I remember that I talked a lot in the class, which I think did help me for my grade. But in that particular moment, I hear my name called through an office door, and it's Dr. Blanco who calls my name, invites me to come and sit down. He wants to share with me a couple of things and see how I am doing. And that conversation changed my life. And you may not hold that moment in any particular regard, but if you were to ask me, Dave, you choose between his knowing your name and his being responsible for the Clear Word Bible, and I'm sorry if you enjoy the Clear Word Bible, but that's what would go first. Because what we know about influence is that we often are given opportunity to influence people more than one at a time, and sometimes like this, hundreds at a time, but with every added person, the impact of that influence is shallower. You talk to anybody who's accomplished much and ask them, tell me how you got here. Who are the people that made the big difference? And they're not going to cite a speech or a sermon, they're going to tell you about one person who met them where they were. And probably it'd be somebody that if they pointed them out, you wouldn't know who they were anyway. Somebody who seems to you like a Honda Accord driver from 81 to 83, somewhere in there. Someone that doesn't have all the heft, all the clout, all the backing. My suggestion is to you, to me, that that matters not in the kingdom of Christ. In fact, he will say it this way, I prefer working with the lesser things. So if you think you're not a leader, you're actually saying, I believe that whatever's big that's going on, I'm perfect for you, God. And indeed, you are. The second word, and it won't be confusing to you, that I would like to make sure is invested in this idea of leadership is that I own my calling. And that's why I would take this time to say to you, you are called to lead. I look at you and I see some of you that are sitting beside people who are identifiable leaders in the community. Maybe you're a spouse. 
And maybe you are not seen in quite the same way, but we know the truth, don't we? The impact of a life lived for God, claiming the calling of leadership. And then this final word, which I love so much, and I'm going to just share, you, uh, share with you a quote. Um, if you have never read this quote, it, it's, I just I, I love it. It's fantastic to me. The quote, and it's in small letters and it'll be bigger on the screen, says this, it is the work of true education to develop this power, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Students here, our greatest joy is to turn you into the very kind of people who will argue with us in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't need another me, we need a full version of you. And so it is our desire, our task, to help you be able to think for yourself and not simply reflect other men's thoughts. Could it be that the most important ideas for ministry and mission on this planet have not been thought of yet? If they haven't, then just getting you to do what I would do is a big mistake. I've always loved that quote. I like, uh, you know, that first part. Is it, it is the work of true education to develop this power. And I could do this kind of prof- professorial trick question move where I ask you, what is this power? And you'd be very tempted to go reading through that particular sentence and think, okay, so th- maybe thinking. Thinking would be, uh, it, it's probably not a huge surprise to you, some of you because of the big tip-off with the extraordinarily strong indentation that this is not the only sentence in that very paragraph, let alone the only sentence that Ellen White wrote. So this is in the back half of a paragraph. I want to show you the first half because it is an incredible promise about your leadership calling. Here's the first half. Every human being, every single one in this room, everyone who hears my voice, every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power. Okay, here we go. That's the power that's referenced a little later. What is that power akin to that of the creator? Individuality a core component of the calling of God is that you would not simply be some knockoff version of someone else, but the full unleashed version of you, and that gets to be what looks like you, not what looks like me. Some people think, well, if I'm gonna be a leader, that means I gotta step up on a stage. Again, remember, the shallowness of impact, the more people that we're dealing with. Some people will have that opportunity. Some people will indeed be sitting in an office that has a nameplate on it and it says doctor or president or principal or pastor or, 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 or CEO. But many of us will not. Ironically, even those of us that do can walk into a different room and none of that matters. <laughs> Walk into a room with a different kind of people and I'm back in the 1982 Honda Accord. And God still expects me to exercise the talents he's given me for his glory and his kingdom and influence the world around me. This call 
to leadership. The men and women in whom this power is developed are the men and women who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. And there we have it. Long before John Maxwell was born in the space of barely six words, leadership is influence. But it gets to look like you. So, these three words, so that we're kind of on the same page what I'm talking about. Leadership is individualized, intentional influence. Not simply for somebody else to carry out. In a few minutes, you're going to see a lot of young, passionate, powerful, I might add, leaders who will step up to be dedicated for this school year who we will give a figure of our intention because very many of us, myself included, hold the keys. Because we've gotten to be a little credible, Dr. Shaw. So somebody gave us the keys, but we need to give it away to these young leaders. And so we will do so both figuratively and for real over these days and at the end of this service. But somebody here is going to be watching that happen. Maybe you're a freshman and you're looking and you're thinking, wow, those folks, I mean, they seem like they've got it all together. Jesus is calling you. And he's not calling you to wait. He's calling you now. Could it be that when we bury the talent God has has given us to do so, we have to make a hole big enough to bury ourselves. And in fact, when Jesus says, I've come to bring you life and life to the fullest in John 10, 10, that he is calling us to a life of talent spent. There could be somebody else here who's thinking, you know what, I'm, I, I, I remember this. I, I have done so for all my life, but I'm older now. Yes, the shape of your influence shifts and changes, but it does not disappear. Do not think God is not giving you opportunity to impact the people around you right now. You might think I'm a little too young. If you're able to engage enough with me right now to have that thought, I'm telling you you're not. Jesus does not wait for tomorrow He is a today God. I love the idea that at the end of one particular day, Jesus has fed the 5,000. And of course, we know it's many more than that. Fish and loaves are these little crackers that those who were poor had. At the end of that day, being tucked into bed, mom says to a little boy, so tell me again, what did you do today? And with a twinkle in his eye, because he gets to say it again, the little boy says, Jesus and I fed 5,000 people. Because Jesus has chosen to tie himself so completely to us, so as to call us his very own body. As if to say, if there's something to be done, I can't lift the fingers without you. I can't walk the walk without you. I can't speak without you. In this moment, ah, don't let it be that the rocks have to cry out because you buried yourself. But instead, Step up.
now. I am fond of this saying. I don't know who it came from. I have suspicions, but I've lost track. Probably in a leadership writing somewhere, the statement, sooner or later, everything rises and falls on leadership. And you may take that to mean, sooner or later, everything rises and falls on her decision, on his move. I believe part of what we're saying is, sooner or later, we have victory, we move forward, or we don't because people step up to their leadership call. We dedicated our elders, deacons, and deaconesses at this morning's adoration service. I just have to tell you, we have some of the most amazing, uh, inspiring individuals serving God in this church. I need to follow that quickly by saying, and they are not enough. Everywhere we turn, ministry needs to be expanded, but our volunteerism is diminishing. We don't have enough people to greet people at the doors to be serving the church as deacons, our deaconesses who serve bereavement meals to those who've lost a loved one or communion or, and it just goes on and on, our children's ministries, our youth ministries, our adult Sabbath schools, everywhere we turn, we are in need and everyone has observations about that, right? Boy, it'd sure be good if somebody, then my wonderment to you, Will you, will I step up? I I just want to close these thoughts by taking you to a strange little passage. I don't know if you've heard it before. It's in a chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 9, where we hear things like, the the, the dead know nothing. Do you remember that one? There There are a handful of kind of meaningful verses that jump out. Whatever you, by, by the way, locked in to this particular chapter, this statement, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, right? I mean, some really well-known little elements, but then there's this. Midway through this particular chapter, this man who the Bible will say is the wisest of all men steps up and he says something quite interesting. Find it here in the 13th verse. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. Now, by the way, Certain people, if they're impressed by certain things, it means more than others, yeah? The, the Netflix, uh, sorry, we're, we're really drilling down into Netflix here, but the commentary and, and uh, docu-whatever on the Chicago Bulls, it was 10 parts, you remember it, from probably that time in the pandemic where you were ready for almost anything. So some people watched it who had no interest even in the Chicago Bulls or Michael Jordan or whomever. There's this little tiny spot in that sequence of scenes that you see where Charles Barkley, who was an unusually gifted player at a smaller size, an amazing player, says to the camera, I never stepped on the court thinking there was anybody better than me. And he was amazing. And he goes on to say, and then I played with Michael Jordan. He's the only person on the planet that I ever stepped on the court and knew he's better than me. That means something coming from him. If I said it, yeah, oh, I tell you what, I stepped on the court with Michael Jordan and I just got to say, he's better than me. That's kind of like me pulling up to the starting line 
with Lewis Hamilton in his F1 Mercedes that he's won seven championships in, and I'm pulling up in my 1982 Honda Accord, and I'm going, okay, here we go. I gotta get the whole shot. But when Solomon says, I saw something unbelievably wise, that means something entirely different. So, so we read on and here we go. There was once a small city with only a few people in it and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, built huge siege works against it. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like the financial implications of what we're trying to deal with are just way too large? We're under siege. Look, we're just a small university. How are we going to fight the economy? How are we going to fight a pandemic? How are we going to fight all these things? Well, here they are. It's a small, small town. Not many people in it. And they're under siege in the kind of way that it's doom and gloom. And the 16th verse, now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. Now, time out, time out, time out. I don't know if you've read this before. We don't hear anything else. We don't know what city this is. We don't know who this guy is. We don't know what he did. We just know Solomon is saying, hey, look, I got to tell you something about wisdom. I got to tell you something that is just stunning. So here you have this small town surrounded. I mean, there is no way they can see, can succeed. And not only is it small, it's a poor town. They don't have, they don't have $484 million. They don't have 250, they don't have 132. They're not the last place F1 team. They're not even on the radar. And in the town is someone we'll call a poor man. Meaning in this poor town, he's especially poor. He doesn't have what it takes. He hasn't written all these intellectual papers and been cited in journals. He doesn't have the credibility in the past or just the last name that makes everybody flinch and go, oh. He's got nothing, but he steps up. And his moment of stepping up saves the day. In a way, you cannot confuse as being because of all of his power. It is because of the power of the mighty God. And guess what? The rest of that verse then says, but nobody even remembered him. Wait, what? I mean, he saves the whole village from this incredible besiegement of this king, it's a small town. How can you not remember? But Solomon is saying, look, this isn't about acclaim. This isn't about your power. This isn't about all of the accolades you would hope would come your way. This is about turning to the almighty God and saying, I will be used by you. And the way that I will do it is precisely how you made me. With what you gave me with what I walk in the room with. I'm not gonna wait for another day. I'm not gonna say only if this person joins me, I'm stepping up, I'm stepping out. And Solomon says, now that's wisdom. Even for this poor, past his prime, small town, nobody that will bring about victory and still nobody will know him. That's wisdom the wisest man says, because you are called to lead. And sooner or later, 
for some fellow student, for some of our senior set that are stuck in a retirement facility and, and maybe can't even get out sometimes, for some little child who is feeling nobody believes in them, for some pastor who's nearing burnout, from, for some professor who only feels like they hear complaints and it's just gotten harder, for someone, you are God's answer. For the moment. So what are you gonna do? Because sooner or later, everything comes down to delivering on those opportunities of influence. Ah, you were called to a nice place to worship well, but you were called to be the body of Christ, to be in motion for him. And he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share your master's happiness for all that I have is yours. And so we're gonna celebrate some of our young men and women who have stepped up to the calling in the variety of ways that they have. Right now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite all of our pastoral team, our chaplains in the school system, our chaplains for, from the Office of Ministry and Mission. If you don't mind coming up, as you do, you'll notice there are two stands with keys. They're in clipped sets of 10. Partner up with another person. Some of you know that I'm gonna be inviting even more up. We have some of our university leaders, Dr. Shaw, yeah, Tom Verrill, come on up. I think Dennis Negron is here somewhere, come on up. We also have certain of our leaders that are our elders in this church. I think it's important, young men and young women, for you to know it's not just the people who are paid to say so. What we're gonna do in a minute, so spread yourselves uh, to partner with each other so that you can give these lanyards. We're gonna do this in a certain sort of way. What we're gonna do is I'd like to call on different groups and depending on exactly where you're seated and so on, we'll kind of get this figured out. But for instance, I see that there's an awful lot of our student leaders right over here. If you don't mind, You'll come down this aisle when the time is right and I call for you. You'll come down this aisle and maybe the first few of you just go ahead on straight to the middle here and you'll receive a key because again, we understand that not only should you be called and asked to lead, but you need to be given the space, the authority, and the opportunity to lead. And so we give you this key in part because we believe you are the key. If Southern is gonna have a successful year this year under Jesus Christ's calling, it's gonna be because of student leaders, not just because of adults who are in the classroom or administrating or in the dormitories serving. It's gonna be because of you. And so we wanna say it out loud. We have that expectation and we know what it looks like because it's happened to us a time or two to be asked to do something but not being given authority. So when we give you the key we're saying not only are you the key, but you deserve to have authority, not just responsibility. So uh, we've got a lot of our leaders here who are gonna bathe you in this process. We'll just do our best. What I like as I call these leaders down is that you come down the side aisles and then you go back through the middle so we don't just kind of clog and bunch up, okay? So from over here, you'll come down this way. You can come across, get a key, go around back to your seat 
and from this area the same. So the first group that I'm gonna call upon is our leaders, student leaders from the Office of Ministry and Mission. I know you're right here up front. Come right across, don't just stop at the first one who has a key for you, but come right on across and then we'll quickly share keys with you. By the way, if you're in the balcony and you're one of our student leaders, you should just start coming down now if you know I'm gonna be calling on you. You just start coming down now because it'll take you a little bit longer. If you're part of our congregation, I invite you right now to be praying for these. Lock eyes with somebody or take a look at one of these student leaders and start praying over them. Visualize who they are. You're gonna make your way back down through the middle and around. If you guys don't mind, just go straight down through the middle. That'd be the other middle. There you go. Next, I'd like to call upon our RAs in our dormitory, our student RAs in our dormitories. If you don't mind, come on down and join us and receive this memento. As they're doing so, we have a program here at Southern of student mentors that help mentor our freshmen coming in. And especially students, if you're on this side of the congregation, which I see some of you are, if you don't mind, just stand up and come along down through here, student mentors. We are, we are reaching bottleneck proportions I probably should have waited till our Office of Ministry and Mission folks had gotten back to their seats, but you're finding a way, I appreciate that. If you guys could just move up enough so that those behind you can be seated, that way we'll get to move a little bit more. Again, from your seat. Just look around. Pick out a student leader, whether you know them or not. Pray for them all the way back to their seat. And commit, if you don't mind, commit to continuing to pray for these, our student leaders. next group I'd like to call forward our student association officers and our club officers. If you don't mind, come on up, find your way forward. All of our student association officers, BCU, Latin club, Asian club officers, our club officers, find your way forward as you see the break in the traffic. Praise God for you. I'd also like to invite our student leaders of our merge worship service, our student leaders of our renewal worship service, if you don't mind coming forward. And I know, by the way, we have such gifted and giving 
freshmen already. Our praise team this morning entirely made up of freshmen. Just make your way past, make a little break here so that our praise leaders can receive a key as well. Praise God for you. You know, it's possible that uh, they didn't feel called out to this gathering, but we have a bunch of our younger people who are student leaders who are involved in technology. And they may not be able to get out here at this moment, but if you can, from our live stream, from our sound and our leadership, you just come on out and receive a key. We would love that. You know, the person who's running sound is preaching the gospel right now. Because I would not well be heard in the balcony without losing my voice without you. Nor would we have a live stream for those who cannot be here. So now, it could be I've left somebody out and I hope I have not. You see us as we kind of conclude today. But what I'd like to do is if you've received a key, I'd like to ask you to stand. Just right where you are, just stand. I don't know, I hope you can feel it. The power and the force of young lives who step up to lead. We praise God for you. We pray for you and I'd like to pray a dedication prayer over you right now. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, thank you for these students. We know they're only emblematic of all the leadership opportunity that exists and there are many students who will never be recognized for a position that have the attitude of service of you, that have decided they're not going to bury the talent. It might be one that doesn't get pushed out into the limelight all that often or even ever, but they're going to step up for you. Thank you for students who answer the call to leadership. Lord God, we want to pray a blessing upon these young leaders. There will be difficulty. There will be challenge. That's exactly what we need leaders for. There will be discouragement. There will be arguments. There will be people and demons themselves who would like to destroy everything good that's happening in your name. So protect them. Protect us. And Lord God, would you make more of their gifts, not just because of your power that multiplies it into the kind of thing that feeds the masses, but would you also multiply it by the power of our commitment to one another for a body whole and healthy accomplishes so much more than when we're weak and sick and at odds with ourselves. So bless us in this year these leaders, because of your Spirit's descent upon them and your acceptance of the gift of their leadership, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.